Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and Friends. And if you listen to our last episode, you will know that this is a very beloved and cherished friend already in Shannon Etheridge's world because Cynthia and I just have so much passion for ministering to people who are struggling in a multitude of sexual ways. And his expertise is born out of personal pain. If you missed that episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because I want you to grab hold of his credibility and the journey that he was personally on from the time he was 11 until now he's 32 and just the wisdom and insights he gained along the way with doing the soul work, with putting on his big boy boxers and dealing with his issues, it is worth going back for 30 minutes and taking a listen to that episode. But Cynthia, welcome back. We're going to dive into the professional end of the pool today. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm ready. Yeah. So uh, you alluded to the fact that You were 25 years old when you went through some intense counseling to look at your past issues and that your last pornography relapse was at 26 years old, six years ago, the last relapse. Tell us about your book. Let's start there and then tell us more about Deep Clean and the ministry that you do. Yeah, so I I didn't know I had my last relapse when I had it. I think we would all like to tell ourselves when we're trying to quit that, you know, every relapse is our last relapse. <laughs> well, I think we do tell ourselves that. I'm, I'm, I we think do. there's wisdom to the fact that you stopped telling yourself that. 100%, 100%. I was really focused on doing the work, you know, and the one thing we always tell our clients is it, it's not about street counting. It's about monitoring trends. Like you have to zoom out. And so for me, the trend was going in the right direction. Like the relapses were fewer and farther between. And I was pretty confident that as long as I kept doing the deeper inner work, that time would eventually come. You know, I didn't know when, but then, you know, it had been like six or seven months and I thought, huh, it's been a while. And I was starting to like, things were feeling a little bit different than I had gone six or seven months before. And um, I was starting to think, you know, I think I've had my last relapse. I think I've had my last relapse. And, you know, it became a year and then two years and three years. And it wasn't like I was waking up white knuckling the day, um, like hoping for it. It was like totally out of my mind. And uh, that's when I could, yeah, like legitimate freedom. And so that's when I knew that something had really changed. And I had this, I had two prayers in my heart when I was struggling. So it was about a five-year journey from when I vowed to quit to when I actually had my last relapse. My first prayer was, God, whoever my future wife is, keep her from me until I'm ready. Um, Wow, that is a powerful prayer. Pretty scary. Yeah, pretty terrifying prayer. Seriously, most people are like, God, give me that person, and then I'll feel motivated to be the best person I can be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I fell into that trap, and it was a mentor of mine who was like ready to reach across the table and smack me and was like, that's not how it works. Like, marriage is a magnifier. It's a problem now. It's a bigger problem later. Do everything you can to get it sorted with now. Marriage is a magnifier. That will preach. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that was that was prayer number one, um, which God totally answered. And we'll get into that. Uh, prayer number two was, um, was God help me get free so I can set others free as well. And so Please. that was all it was. It was always there. And um, and yeah, so once I had gone a couple of years and I was feeling ready to start something on my own, 
this was just a very natural thing. And it was like, yeah, let's see how many people we can help have their last relapse. And so that's why Deep Clean exists. That's why I wrote the book, which is titled The Last Relapse. Uh, we give that away for free on our website or people can just go to thelastrelapsebook.com. Wow. Um, yeah, we've really, I felt like that was something God told me to do in the last two years was like, you know, we charge good money for what we do. Like we're not, we're not like a cheap kind of like quick fix program. We're relatively intensive. Um, and so we've tried to just make as much available for free as possible. So that includes wow. our book. Uh, we do a daily podcast, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to resource people um, and just get the word out. Yeah. Okay. So at what point did it shift gears from I'm doing my soul work. I'm making the connection between the things that happened in my childhood and my parent, my relational dynamics with my parents and what it is that I'm looking for online. When did it shift from a personal journey to I want to help other people with this? This is my ministry. How did you recognize this as your calling, so to speak? Yeah. So, okay. Um, let me, let me circle this back into my two prayers. So, February 2016, I have my last relapse. November 2016, nine months later is when I met Shaloma, who wound up being my wife. So God totally answered that prayer. And we were dating, maybe we were engaged, and I was on staff at a, at a church. This was, I think, my last full-time um, pastoral role before I, I started doing deep clean. So I'm on staff at church, not really preaching a ton, doing a lot more administrative stuff. And they had a Friday night service. Someone had backed out and they said, hey, Sathya, we'd love you to preach. So I'm getting ready. And I hear the Holy Spirit tell me while I'm getting ready, you need to tell people about your struggle with pornography. And I had been clean for maybe about two years at the time, had not been particularly public about it, you know, definitely had like had some confidence sharing with people. I had spoken to friends and Shaloma was in the know and like conversations had happened, but all private. And um, and so I was like, okay, wow, you know, like I'm I'm not one to be disobedient, so I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Don't uh, wind up in the belly of a whale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, how to do this. And so, anyways, I I kind of had my message. It was all about identity, and I wanted to share a little bit about sort of my journey with my struggle with pornography. And uh, just funny how God works. But like probably three hours before I preached. Shaloma gave me a call and she's like, Hey, you know, babe, I'm so excited. Uh, how are you feeling? And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm feeling, feeling really good. She's like, awesome. She's like, well, um, I told a bunch of my family that you're preaching and they're all going to be there tonight. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh, I wish you would have told me. Getting intimate with the in-laws. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like you talk about just being tested where like God tells you to do something and then you say yes. And you, you don't even realize kind of the magnitude of what you'd said yes to, but I, I had learned I'm sure this at that moment. You're like, I think I got a sermon on Psalm 23 in my back pocket yeah. <laughs> that I could pull out instead. <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah, I would, I would have, trust me, if I could have, I would have. Um, but I, I think at the same time, I also had those seeds planted of like, but I do want to help other people. And how can you help other people if you're not willing to share your own story? Right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it, right. Just, it comes with the territory. So I shared, it went off amazingly. I mean, so many responses afterwards. Her family was like very receptive. There was like nothing, there was no angst or animosity or whatever. They probably um, respected you all the more. Definitely. Yeah. And more conversations have happened with her family since that where it's like not only not only did they respect me more, but I think they they were gleaning from it. You know, they were having yes. their own journeys, right? And so so that was actually where it started because I saw the response and 
I saw that it was not, people were not responding to my incredible message. They were responding to my story. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of the first clue I got was like, okay, this is where it has to start. And so it was, it was December, 2018 that I launched deep clean. I thought, okay, let's see if I can, let's see if I could actually help somebody else do this. Cause it's one thing to do it for yeah. yourself. Right. As we know, it's another thing to actually be able to teach it and impart it. And so I spent about six months trying and practicing and taking on people. Um, I don't know if I was even charging anything at the time, but if I was, it was not much. It was just about seeing like, let's see if we can actually help people. And then we start to kind of get some clarity on like, oh yeah, this, this is, this is, repl uh, we can duplicate this. Uh, it's having a great impact and let's see, let's see if we can build something now. And that was kind of the birthplace of deep clean. I love it. Totally birthed out of the experience that you got after sharing your story on stage, I would imagine that it was like sticking your finger in a light socket to see people's response to that, <laughs> that part of your life story. Yeah, it is. I had no idea that I was really just practicing myself for getting that response again and again, you know, because you share about this stuff on national TV or certain churches and, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. But yeah. I, I am so like, I'm so convinced of the work God's done in my life and I'm so comfortable talking about this stuff now and i'm also very confident that if i talk about it somebody's life will change that it doesn't even really bother me that much anymore you know we get all kinds of flack on social media we get these weird looks sometimes from people it doesn't bother me one bit you know good this is the epitome of sexual confidence on tap it looks different for everybody but mm. i i totally see the confidence in your voice the conviction the just the the way that you carry yourself, it exudes freedom. And I think that mm. invites other people to discover their own freedom. Um, and, and I want to just kind of insert a quick disclaimer here because I have, I'm sure that you've gotten this kind of pushback and you may have something that you want to add to this, but I have gotten pushback on rare occasion from, let's say, for example, Christian couples who are older, they weren't raised in the internet generation. So there's a lot of repressed sexual um, you know, components of their lives and they discover porn and they're like, this liberates us. Don't shame us for this. And to that, I simply respond, if it's not broke for you, I'm not telling you it has to be fixed, but we can't overlook the reality that many, for many people, this is not just an occasional, oh, it's our anniversary. So let's look at porn for some recreation type of thing. This is a daily struggle. This is an hourly struggle. This is something that is compulsive and it distracts them from their main responsibilities and it erodes their self-esteem. So that is two mm -hmm. totally different arenas that we're dealing in here. So we are not trying to impose shame for people who are not feeling shame. We're simply trying to say, if you're feeling shame and you're, if you're feeling like it's an obsessive compulsive disorder for you, there is freedom and deliverance. You can have confidence that this does not have to have a shackle around your ankle the rest of your life. So I'm sure that you have probably had similar feedback from people saying, well, it may be a problem for you, but it's not a problem for me. Yeah. And, and maybe we can drive this home with even some of the, the research, like what, what people are finding now is the rate of erectile dysfunction in men under the age of 40 is hovering around 25 to 30 percent whereas in 2001 it was only five percent 
So what we're seeing here is like, I mean, again, there's increased stress levels. I'm not saying it's all pornography, right. but what I, what I am suggesting for sure is that pornography is definitely impacting our brains. Um, and I can certainly speak on the male side of it. There's a major increase in the threshold of what's required, even just for arousal with another person. So a lot of guys that come to us, in addition to having compulsive behavior that they can't quit, cycles of shame, the shame spiral. I love that language you used in the, our first episode. Um, they're also dealing with somatic responses, physical uh, inabilities and un unable to perform sexually because of what they're experiencing. And so when people start to have these kinds of side effects, it becomes very apparent that, yeah, you probably need to get pornography out of your life for you to really experience the fullness of what you like in your life and your relationships. Well, and I think that there's always a problem when one person wants it or even considers themselves in need of it mm -hmm. and a partner who does not feel the same way about it. I think that's where you see the biggest wedge is when there's differentiating views about the role of it in the relationship and in each other's lives. And quite yeah. frankly, there's some women, especially, and I, I can't say that it's exclusively women because there have been some women who come to my workshops to battle their own pornography addiction because their husbands feel slighted. So it's not always yep. the woman who feels slighted by her husband's pornography addiction. Sometimes it's vice versa. But there can be a deep, deep sense of betrayal and confusion and bewilderment on the part of the partner who feels as if my spouse has to look at other people because I think the message they internalize is I'm not enough. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole sect now of sexual psychology around betrayal trauma because that that experience is so real. And I would, I, I mean, I'm definitely of the opinion that I think whatever porn could provide in a relationship, there's a better option, you know, because what we see around the long-term effects, even in, on a relationship of pornography, there's very little that's positive. It shows generally like even relationship satisfaction goes up initially, it tends to decline over time, rates of divorce are increased, uh, even just talking about the, some of the physiological effects, like I think all across the board, Sure, I can understand why people might say that pornography could provide some sort of benefit, but everything I've heard, I can always come up with some kind of better option out there. With every benefit, there is also a cost. And yes, sometimes the cost is far greater than you ever expected. I've heard that um, that sin always takes you where you never wanted to go. And and I'm not I'm not trying to preach or label it as sin across the board. I'm just saying that when you give things a small foothold, sometimes you get sucked in far more than you expected. So mm -hmm. let's talk about those better alternatives, because that's that's where I think the hope really comes from, is that maybe you don't need pornography like you think you need pornography. Maybe it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be the threshold that leads you into places that you don't ultimately want to go. So what are some of those better alternatives for people who are looking to tap into their sexual energies and to be able to share those sexual energies more freely with their partner? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. Like the the penultimate question with our clients is, what is pornography offering you? Now, this is obviously through a little bit of a different lens. This is kind of more the recovery lens, but it's just as relevant in a relationship context. If you, if you have pornography introduced into your relationship for whatever reason, 
what is it providing? Is it providing ideas? Is it providing a spark? Is it providing a sense of connectedness? Because once you understand what it's offering you, then, you know, if it's giving you ideas, well, there might be some people you could be having conversations with to get other ideas. Like there'd be other ways to do that. If it's giving a spark, again, there's tons of ways to ignite a spark in a romantic relationship. And if it's providing a sense of, you know, connection, connectedness, uh, that sort of thing. Again, tons of ways to be able to experience that that go beyond pornography itself. So I I, I think you you have to get some clarity on what it's providing first, but yeah. there'd be tons of avenues you could go in. I think that probably the main thing that people are looking for is novelty of just, mm. I want something new, fresh, different. And I would say that, you know what, if that's the case, covenantspice.com, I have to give a quick plug for Lael and Kevin Harrelson that has the covenantspice.com website. It's just uh, marital aids and lotions and potions and games and toys and and just novelty. It's just novelty, but porn free. They will never put anything on their website that has any kind of pornographic image. They don't show, there's no pictures on the packaging of people using the product, just the product themselves. So I get it. Novelty is fun for everyone. Like variety is the spice of life. But pornography is only one way to create novelty, but are you creating more than just novelty? Because the the couples that I have worked with, that this has been a, a bondage creator and it's put that wedge between them and the other person is feeling really slighted and, mm-hmm. and like, this is not what I signed up for and, and feeling like they're really being cheated and betrayed. Um, the dynamic that is often there is that they, it, it, it becomes such an insatiable thing and they can never find just the right clip. And now I'm going to get into like the trenches of the pornography or the porn addict's life. They can never find just the right thing. And so they waste 10 minutes looking at something. Oh, well, that didn't do it for me. So now I have to find this other thing and maybe another 20 minutes. And it turns out to be this hours long thing where it wasn't lovemaking. It was trying to find just the right actor, just the right scenario, just the right activities. And that it's so specific, it's so narrow as to what it is that they need. What I often try to explain to them is that I don't know of any producer who has read your particular mind and created a a whole volume, a whole repertoire of exactly what just you need. But the human brain is wired to create fantasy of just what you need and it will have Mm -hmm. a a similar impact as far as just opening those pleasure channels creating that um that hit of dopamine triggering the pituitary gland to send blood flow to the genitals you don't need to actually lay eyes on it being manifest on a screen in order to draw the energy that you're looking for for your arousal with your mate and that if your mate would feel better about of pornography not being a part of your relationship at all why are you holding on to it because it's probably just creating this frenzy in you that you can never feel as if boom i found it perfect and even if you did one time okay well that that same clip is not going to keep doing it for you over and over again yes exactly does, does this sound familiar with what you oh my hear gosh from men? yes absolutely and, and, and deep clean is just for men or is it for women too yeah, we are exclusively for men right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, continue. 
Oh man, if that I mean, what a prevalent dynamic. I think I think it's an illusion to think that you would ever find content that could fully satisfy your sexual needs because the nature of sex is it is interaction with another person on a deeply intimate level. And that's why we often like I would describe porn as fast food intimacy. Like it, it might temporary, <laughs> temporarily alleviate the cravings, but it's only a matter of time before they come back because yeah. nothing a screen could provide you will ever match what the human needs actually are on a sexual level. So I, I think that's, that's a really good point. And then the other thing that you mentioned that I love, which is, is so accurate, novelty. That's what this whole thing is actually about. And novelty enhances pleasure, which is why I know for me, like, you know, I would go to the site, I would type in my search thing, and then I would have like 20 tabs open. Because I, after I watched the one thing, even as great as it was, it was always about the next thing. And on a neurobiological level, that's what addiction is, whether it's to alcohol, to gambling, to video games, to drugs, whether it's to your phone or social media or pornography, the, the ultimate question in the brain is what's next. Yes. So that's why when you scroll on a social media feed, you know, when you get to the bottom, what do we do? We keep scrolling, right? We refresh that thing because we want to see what's next, what's next, what's next. And it's no different with a porn addiction or anything else. And ultimately it is to, it is to experience that, that enhancement of pleasure, that novelty, something different or whatever, but it's, they're, they're moving goalposts. You, you never actually do reach that point. That, that's a great way of putting it, moving the goalpost. It has to feel so frustrating, really, in reality, because the what's next question is rarely ever answered by what's next is I'm going to close my computer and look <laughs> eye to eye and get skin to skin and face to face with just my partner. And we're just going to have a rock in time like they did in the Garden of Eden. Like that is that's not where this leads. That, that's yeah. what we have to understand is it doesn't lead to the natural organic, completely sinless, because, you know, sexual intimacy was created before the fall of man, like the act of worship that sex can often feel like between a husband and wife, that feeling of not just sexual excitement, but also spiritual euphoria of like when lovemaking inspires you to work, to feel, to feel as if you're saying, God, this is so amazing. Thank you for this person. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for wiring my body this way. Thank you for making my clitoris feel this way or my penis feel this way or my nipples feel this way or whatever like that. That is where I think the real excitement and the fulfillment comes in. But I don't think that anybody could say that it inspires worship of their creator when they're looking at pornography. You're worshiping mm. the creation, not the creator. Oh, wow. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny. Sometimes people ask, like, th there's always like the, the skirt around questions. Like, what if I only watch this? Or, you know, what if it's that or whatever? And I think the, the, ultimate, the ultimate bane of pornography is that we are objectifying people in, in a way that they were not, we're treating people in a way that they weren't meant to be treated. Right. You know? And I think sexual intimacy is so, it's so personal. It's so intimate. But to me, it's a shame that's become so normal to just experience it on such a widespread level um, yes. and to make it so accessible when, you know, I think the, the like, again, like I've, I've made mistakes sexually in previous relationships before I met Shaloma. And to me, like the best sex I've had, the best sexual experiences I've ever had have been with my wife, you know, and when the marriage is healthy, when I'm, you know, doing the dishes and giving her back rubs, like it's all the when little things. When you're showing up in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's it's when those other points of connection just naturally lead to sexual connection 
that's where I've had the greatest experience of any kind of sexual intimacy. And I have yet to hear a different story from anybody on either side of the faith spectrum, Christian or not. Those, yes. those are the environments where sex is at its best. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite TED Talks that I show at every workshop that I do just about is Amy Culler uh, does a TED Talk. Uh, I think it's like his needs, her needs, or, or uh, greater intimacy for her, greater sex for him, or something something along those lines. Amy Culler, C-O-L-O-R. But she okay. describes over-porning uh, as, uh, well, the analogy that she uses is imagine that you are laying on the couch in the dark watching football day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That's kind of what looking at pornography over and over is like. But then all of a sudden having sex, real intimate sex with your partner is like you're on the field yeah. in a team it's like you don't know what to do because all you've been doing is laying on the couch watching football on tv that it is yeah. not the educator that we think that it is and i think that this younger generation that was raised with it they have they have looked at pornography as the sex educator that their parents were not that their pastors were not that their peers could not be but mm -hmm. pornography is not an educator i think it's an emasculator Mm, That's a pretty good wow. sound right there. Not bad at all, yeah. I, I think that it neuters not just men but women. Uh, you know, I just think that it it cuts your ultimate sexual development off at the knees, and you may feel like you're running with all that adrenaline coursing through your veins and how exciting and euphoric that may feel. But how does that translate into the intimacy that you can experience with the other? person that's playing that's getting in the game that's real life experience and it's just so different than the pornographic experience so tell me about some success stories tell me about men who have read your book or discovered deep clean and committed themselves to a similar process what have you seen yeah so let me give you a couple different um a couple different angles from this so we have three pillars for the recovery process. It's building self-awareness, transformation of the heart, and establishing your identity in Christ. So um, one of my favorite stories is a guy named Stuart. And Stuart came to me. He, was a, he had been a pastor for 20 years, um, was experiencing same-sex attraction, but really wanted to marry a woman, but had stayed single. He didn't know what to do with it. And he was looking for some kind of solution, some kind of help. So our real emphasis with Stuart was on the self-awareness piece. He was kind of an emotional zombie, like had no idea what was going inside uh, on inside, could really do the task, do the stuff, but was totally blocked here. Numb. And yeah, so we have two ways primarily that we really help people get through this. The first is journaling. I'm a big proponent of journaling. And the second is like community elements, like learning to share in a more intimate environment with other guys, whether it's friends, it's people in our community, it's your coaches, whatever. And this guy started to just like, like he was unrecognizable after a couple of weeks because I think he finally started to understand what was going on. He understood the situation better and he just felt like he was in control again, you know, like in control of the situation. And so, um, so he, he, when he finished our program, he wasn't fully clean, I would say, but his relapses were few and far between. He wound up sticking around and eventually did reach that place of freedom. And he's actually a coach on my team today. He just got married <laughs> last year. Like God has like turned his life upside down in a span of, I mean, he's been with us for, I think maybe it's about three years, 
but um but that's been really fun and the, what a wonderful gift to be able to give his wife is his freedom yeah not the expectation that you need to be okay with this because this is something that i really need and this is what it takes for me to get aroused and you're just gonna have to be okay with that mm -hmm. freedom freedom yes. I, I i'm here in the flesh for you and you are the focus of all my sexual energies wow what a gift yeah really really amazing uh we had a guy work with us um last year his name is patrick young and he was actually a star for the florida gators he played very so these guys have all given me permission to use their names, by the way, just so that's super clear. Um, so, so Patrick, uh, Patrick came after basically finishing up his basketball career. He was undergoing a life transition. He was uh, dating a girl that he really liked. And she basically said, hey, just so you know, I consider watching porn to be cheating. And if you want to marry me, it can't be in your life. And he was like, oh, okay, I got some work to do. <laughs> and so, uh, so he came to us. And his big thing was actually just that he had he had no idea of these kind of like wounds of the past, parent-child dynamics. So we dug into a, a bunch of this stuff, a lot of stuff with his relationship with his mom, which is a commonality in our client base. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't, it was just about gaining an understanding and reaching a place of forgiveness. And for him, a big part was um, it wasn't necessarily discrepancy in love languages. But there were some specific moments where his mom had, you know, said some things that really hurt him or had done a couple of things that really hurt him. And it was a matter of being able to process those things, yes. uh, release them, inviting God into those moments and reaching that place of forgiveness of like, I'm not going to hold that against you. I have nothing to gain from that. And again, we saw kind of the same thing. Like for him, it was just, oh, something is different. It, it, it's not always an overnight thing, but little by little, incrementally, just regaining more control, making better choices not caught between that rock and a hard place as often and um and really just just taking huge strides um and the last one and this is uh maybe one of my favorites is a guy named um michael johnson michael was 65 years old when he came to us in his language he would have an affair at every moment or every opportunity that he possibly could mm -hmm. and was also addicted to pornography for over 40 years so wow just rife rife with issues now, here's the interesting thing, Shannon. When he came to us, he had been clean of pornography for a year. So you would think, okay, if he's clean of pornography, his wife had agreed to stay with him once everything surfaced, so he hadn't had any affairs. He was like legitimately clean for a year, but he came to us because he was sober, but he wasn't free. White knuckling? So, yeah, white knuckling, waking up every day in fear, just crippling fear that he was going to relapse, he was going to lose it all. Um, Which is he still was, no way to live. No, not at all. And so that was, we took him through our whole process, obviously top to bottom. The self-awareness stuff was useful. The, um, the healing of the heart stuff was great, but it was the identity in Christ part that I think really solidified things for Michael because he just began to see himself apart from his past. Yes. And I think that's a really, it's, it's an easy thing to articulate. It's a very hard thing to actually experience at like a deep fundamental level. And so it was about speaking life over him. It was about reminding him of who he was on a regular basis. It was stacking up evidence, not just like, here's a hollow statement to make you feel better about yourself. Here's what we see in you. And here's why we think you're so great. And he's starting to latch onto it. He's starting to, the, the, the lens starts to change. He's, he's starting to see it. He's like, I am showing up for my kids. I am actually a decent husband. Like it starts to stack up and gain that momentum. It's kind of like that upward spiral we talked about His in the first interview. His self-esteem had to go up and up and up. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the greatest travesties of pornography or sexual misbehavior is that people draw conclusions about themselves from their behavior that keep them stuck in the behavior. So it's like, oh, I struggle with porn. I'm a pervert. Well, if you actually believe you're a pervert, what else would a pervert do but continue to engage in perverted behavior? Yeah. Yeah. You will literally just sin by faith in the lie. And so, so when you start to believe the truth, consequently, then eventually your decisions and actions have to line up if you're continuing to increase your faith in that, in that truth. And that's what happened for him. It wasn't like he had to continue to white knuckle. He didn't street count. It was just like, dude, let's just focus on you seeing yourself the way God sees you and everything else kind of starts to fall into place. So those are some stories that have come out of the community the last little bit that have been pretty exciting for us. I love that. I love that these uh, clients have wanted you to share first and last name because they're proud of what God and Deep Clean has done in their lives. That's some powerful stuff right there. So, Cynthia, I'm sure that you probably agree with me that these are not just sexual issues. These are spiritual issues. Um, You know, the idea of taking a step back looking at the aerial view of your life, recognizing the areas where you've been wounded and the need to forgive, you know, those are all spiritual things. What is the best piece of advice that you want to offer someone who is struggling, but doesn't even realize the magnitude of the depth that they're struggling or what kind of impact it's really having on their life, their relationships with themselves, with their partner, with God? What's your best piece of advice? I mean, I would say, and this was a huge inspiring factor for me, you know, the Bible is pretty clear that Jesus came that we would have life and not that we would survive through this thing called life, but that we would have life abundantly. And I, I think so many people are deprived from the abundant life because they lack sexual integrity. And because they've told themselves, oh, every guy struggles with this. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. And those are all just lies from the pit of hell. The enemy would love nothing more. Um, if he can't get you to crash and burn, then he would love for you to, to at least settle for mediocrity. And I think that's oh, where pornography that's keeps horrible. a lot of people. Yeah, I think I, I, so to me, that would be the, the absolute best reason you could do it is don't wait. Like we always tell people to this, like if you have, if you're married and you have a struggle with pornography, and it's in the dark, there's only two ways this thing ends. Either you confess or you get caught. That's it. So true. And, and whatever you're afraid of in confessing it, the chances of those happening are significantly less than if you get caught. If you get caught, all bets are off. We don't know what happens. But if you're willing to, to take a step to nip this thing in the bud, to pursue that abundant life that Jesus has for you now, before this thing gets worse, that would be the best thing you could do for yourself. And to tie it into what we were saying before, that's the true, the true mark of self-worth is that you're willing to make decisions for your future self, not just your current self. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people justify varying degrees of dysfunction in their current reality because, oh, it's not that bad anyway. That's the mark of somebody of poor self-esteem. If you really loved yourself and valued yourself the way God did, you would never settle for mediocrity and you would never settle for something that's even a little bit dysfunctional. You'd be thinking, how do I set myself up so that in the future I'm more functional, I'm healthier, my relationships are stronger, and I'm living that abundant life. Oh, we could go on and on and on. We have to wrap up. How can people find out more about your free book that you offer, about your online coaching, about your podcast, anything else you want to tell us about what kind of resources are available to people who have been moved by this conversation? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm guessing your listeners like podcasts if they're here. So we have a daily podcast called Unleash the Man Within. And I'd love for your listeners to check that out. That's a place to get really practical stuff. And then we interview rock star guests like yourself on there on a weekly basis. And then I think the second way is for people that are on social media, we're super active on Instagram. And we're having we probably have about 250 to 300 conversations a day with people on Instagram, just wow. answering questions, giving resources. And you know, and even if people are interested in the program, Program, they can they can ask me about it there and then we can see if it's a good fit so those are the two best places to start the handle is Sathya me Sam it's a bit difficult to spell so maybe we can put a link in the show notes but it's s-a-t-h-i-y-a-m-e-s-a-m okay and the website if they were just wanted to go look at your website tell me that address yeah that one's just my name sathiasam.com okay sathiasam.com check it out and for those of you listening who are there, for those women who are listening and going, but this applies to me, I, I need to look at my own journey. That is so much of what we do at Women at the Well workshops. Our, we just had one uh, recently, so our next one won't be coming up until August, but it's August 10th through the 13th, I believe. Don't totally quote me on that. Go to shannonethridge.com, click on the workshops link. You'll see the list of dates. Also... We, several years ago, created Couples at the Well workshop because women were going through the Women at the Well workshop and saying, well, I've really grown by leaps and bounds, but my husband seems to be the same person that he was before I went to your workshop. Do you have anything for him? I would say definitely consider a Couples at the Well workshop where you can join hands and walk through whatever's holding you back sexually, emotionally, relationally together. But men, those of you who are listening, I, I do not offer a workshop exclusively just for men. That's one of the reasons that I just have so much love and respect for everything that Sathya is doing is because he does what I do not do, but I can help you put pieces of the puzzle back together in the context of your relationship with your wife and work with those wives who feel betrayed or feel addicted themselves. So, Sathya, I can't thank you enough for sharing your passion with us, for following the voice of the Holy Spirit who told you to look at these issues in your own life and then who told you to put that out there in a sermon and then to to continued that it's not just a one-time topic that you preached one Sunday and then moved on to other stuff. I see that this is your ministry. This is your calling and you wear God's name tag very well. I mean, it, it even says King on your sweatshirt. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say that's God's name tag. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, the, the feelings mutual, Shannon. I love what you're doing here. Thanks for letting me be on your podcast. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. And we thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. We love you for listening. Thank you for tapping on us. 